Welcome to the Phase World Podcast, engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Born and raised in Greece, educated and lived in the UK for four years, Irene Tornasaki has been working with Cirque du Soleil in the show Curios: Cabinet of Curiosities since January 2014, touring Canada and the United States. Irene is the original singer of Curios and performed the vocals on the soundtrack album recorded in Montreal and released in November 2014. <laughs> Fei Wu, and this is Phase World podcast. When Curious first came to Boston in May 2016, I was eager to see it live. The music hit me right away. I saw a petite, beautiful woman singing in the background. Her costume so elegant, her voice so pure, and her presence so powerful. I reached out to Irene and invited her to my podcast. One day I was sick. It was the last day of、uh, one of the cities. I got a throat infection. Hey, please, can you let me just watch the show and then leave? I sat and watched the show for the first time after one and a half year. Watched the show and I was crying like throughout the whole show because you know what you said about like, the effort and and how everybody is so. Committed and so talented because also I know all of them and I know what everybody goes through because touring is tough and performing six days a week is even tougher physically, emotionally. But then it's so rewarding too. So it's like it's a balance, but it doesn't take away the effort. When I saw everybody looking so amazing on stage and. Their smile and the lights in their face and their makeup so beautiful. I was crying the whole show because I thought it, it's just incredible what these people are doing. Erini, thank you for teaching me how to say your first and last name, and welcome to the Face World Podcast. You've traveled a lot, but yet you're only you're only twenty four, twenty five years old. I'm looking at your resume. You've done. A lot. You actually recorded the original soundtrack album for Curios by Cirque du Soleil, which we have purchased the copy, and it's just absolutely beautiful. It's the type of music you can listen to while you're driving, while while you're working and studying, and you know, tell us about how this all happened. And I guess we start with stage one: is how did 
Cirque du Soleil recognize your talent and kind of recruit you? What was that process like? Um, so as you may know, uh, Cirque du Soleil, they, they search for talent all the time mm-hmm. and uh, all over the world. They, they don't go everywhere, but there are some uh, parts of the world where they hold auditions quite frequently or, you know, uh, the, the audition, the live audition that I took part in was in London and uh, they went there uh, four years ago and now this year they went again, you know, so sometimes they would go to Europe, some parts of Europe, uh, US. Um, so how it happened with me, um, a friend of mine uh, actually told me about the auditions. He just forwarded a, an email to me with uh, the audition call. And uh, and yeah, I did not really know much about Cirque du Soleil at that point. Uh, so I was curious, <laughs> curious. I was curious to um, as, as to what this company does. I was looking uh, online, you know, looking at the videos and I thought, wow, that seems just really like huge. Uh, and I was, I was wondering how come I'd never really known much about it. Um, at that point, I wasn't sure, you know, I, I wanted to be a Cirque du Soleil singer. Uh, but I thought that the audition process would have been very interesting and a growing experience too. I'm, I was sure I was going to learn a lot from it. So I, I took, I took the chance. I, I recorded the, um, uh, the material uh, with a video and I sent it. And then they responded that they would like to invite me to their live audition in London. And that was in 2012. That's, I was still a student then. I was uh, on my third year of studies. And uh, it's a funny audition. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I looked at it recently and, you know, I'm very young and, you know, smiling and saying, yeah, because, you know, traveling all over the world would be an amazing experience. And, uh, I, of course, I didn't expect anything of it. And I just, I did it and I did the live audition and I was given this piece of paper that says um, you are part of our list of, of artists now. Whoa. Um, so, you know, I was happy, but, you know, I set it aside. I'm like, okay, now I'll go on, finish my thesis, graduate. Yeah, uh, my name chosen. <laughs> keep, keep working on whatever I was doing. And um, yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't really expecting to hear, you know, uh, you may have heard that it may take a really long time on um, until you hear mm-hmm. from Cirque du Soleil for a job offer, you know, mm. um, there are jobs available, and there's there are always uh, shows of op- opening, mm-hmm. uh, and you know people retiring and transferring, etc. But there are also a lot, a lot of people applying, and you don't know. So, how competitive yeah. was your experience? Because they may not expose the statistics, the number, but I, mean, I can only imagine there must have been thousands of women, you know, similar in age and possibly in training. I know you went through some rigorous training, which we should get into, but how competitive was it? Did they ever reveal that to you? Uh, the only thing that they revealed was that when they had to choose people that fit that specific role 
of curious. Let's say they said, you know, we need a person that sounds kind of like this, with this kind of range and this kind of uh, sound experience, uh, whatever their criteria was. Mm -hmm. uh, they came up to a list of uh, 85 oh, <laughs> And I know that um, the casting director told me that mm -hmm. I was among uh, 85. So, of course, at that uh, moment, when I received that call, which was a year after my audition, Whoa. Uh, then I didn't know how many I was uh, up against. Uh, they just told me that they're, they've put me uh, as a candidate mm -hmm. for the role. And, of course, they asked me, would you be interested? And I said, of course, yes. Uh, so, at that point, they had to start eliminating and it was the direct director's um, choice wow. at that point, Michelle Apriz, who is the director that created uh, Curious. Wow, congratulations, first of all. You were probably, there was less than 1% of the chance of getting it. And what I really like about that process, as you're describing, it's based on, yeah, there's a little bit of luck, as in everything else, but a lot of it is you know, it's training and perseverance to a certain degree. And you just never know, you know, unlike a corporate job where your nephews and nieces, your you know, your clients, kids are all rushing in and you're really competing out there without uh, much connection or any connection at all. And so fast forward to a year after you auditioned, what in, I assume you were still in the uh, in the UK at that moment. What are some of the changes you have to make in your life? What were you doing at the time versus, oh, you know, I'm sure it's a yes to this offer. What type of changes did you have to make? You know, um, the biggest change that I, that I had to make was uh, to leave uh, Europe as a whole. I mean, Greece, uh, the UK, I had never been to Canada. I had never been to the US. And it is far away, you know. Um, once you cross the Atlantic, it's just another world that you never imagine what it would be like. And, you know, we tend to live in our little bubble. I mean, sometimes, yeah, okay, I had gone to, to England and I had seen something different, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about going somewhere so far so that was the biggest change that i that i made and i left a lot of little projects that i was doing there um thinking you know this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to to travel with her to soleil absolutely were your parents or brother or sister what would what were some of their reactions were friends hmm um uh, my parents were excited and they encouraged me uh, to take that decision um, because of course, when you're, when it all becomes real, you know, you're finally after a few videos and uh, the, the elimination process, uh, you know, I was called to, to be told that I was chosen. I, I panicked a little bit. <laughs> of course, you have to make a big decision at that moment, you know, you have to leave, you know, relationships and friends and. Yeah. Family, you know, it's it's a big big step. So I, yeah, I panicked a little bit, and so I was trying to make that decision, you know, and sign that contract, give it all. Yeah. Two years, you know. Wow. So, uh, you, because the first um, contract is two years long. Wow. 
Yeah, so my parents helped me a lot with that decision. They were very encouraging and they thought that it was going to be just a great experience. And they were right, of course. from uh Andy and Kevin Atherton as they were they were aerialists and they're you know uh they're yeah. strap artists and they they were gymnasts before and they told me they have to go through just tremendous amount of training to become to go from athletes to artists at Cirque du Soleil and they described the training as really brutal but in a very good way what type of training did you have to go through to kind of transition from the singer you were to the singer that you are today? Uh, that's a nice question. Um, it is diff- It is different from between musicians, circus artists, um, athletes, you know, the, because it depends on what kind of background you've had. Uh, but for me, the, the transformation, I would say, was just the way, um, you know, the, co- the training that I had in the creation period with a coach every day to strengthen my voice to be able to um, maintain it for nine to ten shows per week that was the the big goal you know what did you have to do to maintain it for that long and how long did it take Uh, I was training for three months and um, I was just uh, working on on technique and stamina you know so um, a lot, a lot has to do with um, with um, your, your your breathing. You know your diaphragm. You need to learn in in, in singing. You need to learn uh, how to really support your voice without uh, shouting. Let's say yeah. you know you want to to sing um, a powerful note that is not going to hurt your vocal cords because if you have to sing it repetitively mm. nine for nine or ten shows it could potentially hurt your voice. Mm. You could be losing your voice on the fourth show of the week. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my fears in the beginning, just because I, I do have a sensitive voice. And before I, I used to lose it sometimes if I had a demanding schedule. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, how is it possible to do so many shows? Yeah. So yes, it was training. I was training for two hours with my coach. And then of course, we had rehearsals on top of that, and yes. I think it's interesting because you've been going at her for a couple of years, and I find it so fascinating as you're recalling this information from two years ago, which, you know, in a grand scheme of things, isn't a very long time, but just to see yourself sort of transform this period of time, uh, you know, maybe, are there moments that you kind of go through your day and just, kind of take a pause to say wow I can't believe I'm doing this I've come a long way does that happen to you or you're too busy I can't even process that <laughs> it, well I think uh, when you work for for such a busy show time the perspective of time I don't know the perspective of the- perspective of time is, is um, I don't know it's fluctuates you know you may think wait, was that a year ago? Was that two years ago? You, you get a little bit lost in time. And yes, yeah, sometimes I would pause and think, okay, now I'm in Boston. Okay, you know, I have to like 
really feel, <laughs> stop and feel where I'm at and what I'm doing and what happened before. And what it's uh, such a fast pace uh, work, you know? Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, just that, that it's, um, I mean, sometimes uh, I just can't believe that I have also been to all these places, you know, and I have memories in a lot of different cities in the U.S. and that that I had never been before, you know, it's, it's just memories accumulating. Yeah, it's, you're only 24 and yet you've experienced the world, not only as a traveler, you know, it's, which is very different, but you're working at these different places in the world. And not only that, you've earned tremendous amount of respect, right, from these residents, from people from these cities. Uh, I think it's just an incredible experience. I do, I'm always curious to ask this, which is, uh, what is a day in the life of a Cirque du Soleil artist? And the reason for me to ask that is a lot of people assume you show up, you perform the show. I know it starts at around 7, 7.30 if I remember correctly. And what people don't know is you tend to show up a lot earlier. Uh, for athletes, for performers, you have to warm up. For In your case, you may have to warm up your, your voice, your vocal cords. Exactly. What What is it like? When do you wake up? Uh, you know, what do you eat? And actually, let's talk about your, <laughs> how do you kind of like condition yourself and then before going to work? <laughs> okay, so, uh, well, first of all, uh, people that work in, in entertainment are usually uh, night owls. Uh, even even if you, you're not naturally, you know, the, the schedule uh, makes you uh, have, you know, makes you be at the peak of your energy at night. So, you know, we're, we're out of work at 11 and we're still, you know, full of energy. Yeah. And so after that, we get home and it takes a while to wind, wind down. Sometimes I work uh, on my personal songwriting after the show just because I'm so awake and, and inspired and um, my voice is warmed up and I feel, you know. Wow. So, Sometimes, but I don't go crazy. Um, I always make sure I sleep in the night. Like I never stay up, you know. Meaning uh, three in the morning. Like what time do you? No, usually... maybe like uh, one thirty or two. Okay, got it. That's not. Um, yeah. Okay. Yes, it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do sleep uh, a good eight and a half hours. And if I sleep less, I get. Um, I start feeling it in my voice, you know, mm-hmm. a little tired. So yes, I wake up at, at around uh, 9.30. Um, I, you know, I, I have breakfast at home. Uh, and then I usually go out outside for like a walk or a coffee or something just mm-hmm. to feel, you know, awake. And then I usually, um, so I, every day I decide what is my priority and what I, what I want to do with my little bit of free time that I have and uh, and usually I work on my songwriting or I go visit something for example a museum or something um, like sightseeing in the city and if it's a one show day uh, I get to work at around five so this is three hours before the show mm-hmm. uh, this is exactly enough time for me to get there eat first and then do makeup, which takes me about 45 minutes. Uh, I then uh, do a 30-minute vocal warm-up, uh, 30 minutes of sound check, 
30 minutes of uh, preparation, which is uh, I braid my hair and I put it under a wig cap and and then a costume and wires and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it takes me about 30 minutes and then I'm ready for the wow. show. Yes. So fascinating. Once you get on stage and at this stage that you're very familiar with your show, with, with your songs, um, how has it changed over the course of let's just say a year or two and how do you now react to sort of the audience reaction or you know what how different is it do you still get uh you know stage fright or do you still get nervous before doing <laughs> yes <I'm> nervous. <laughs> it's crazy i don't know um i don't know for a performer no matter how familiar you may be with your the material and everything uh you get this, you know, buzz, something, mm -hmm. before you go on stage. And you, you need that. I mean, yeah. you need that to really be present and perform. Uh, I don't get nervous, nervous, mm -hmm. but if my voice is giving me a hard time, mm -hmm. let's say it's um, let's say it's a Sunday morning and it's a matinee show, and, you know, I've already done eight shows, mm -hmm. let's say, if my voice is a little bit, uh, yes, give me a hard time not being exactly in control, yeah. you know, uh, that's when I get a little worried and I'm thinking, oh my god, oh my god, my voice is going to break, <laughs> so that I get nervous. What happens if something does go wrong? Because I know that things, many things go wrong from tiny little small shows, local shows to, you know, up on stage and if you do lose your voice, if you forget the lyrics, uh, what happens? Okay, well, sometimes uh, it's not very obvious, so it's just hidden. You can just hide it. Yeah. You keep smiling and you keep singing. I mean, you sing much better after that because you're like, I'm going to prove that I'm not, I didn't make a mistake. You know, you when you perform, when you make a mistake, you should always ignore it because it's in the past. You know, that's always what you should think. It's always, it's gone. If I get frustrated about it on stage, I'm going to ruin the the next of the the rest of my performance. And yes, it has happened that uh, actually twice during an a cappella part, during the straps number, uh, there's an a cappella part. And a cappella means any a vo vocal, let's say a vocal uh, with no instruments around it, just a yeah. pure vocal sound. So obviously, any mistake there is obvious, you know. Um, my voice broke, so you heard just my voice cutting or just a little squeak or something like this. And of course, everybody looked like, what happened, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, yes, I got nervous and you know, your heart starts beating and thinking, I have to forget about this and keep going. Mm -hmm. I love that. This is one key takeaway for me. Same thing as people in the business world, or they feel like during the presentation they've said something stupid, or they feel like they're not looking as if you know there's no makeup, there's nothing to hide, that you feel naked and exposed, that yet you have to leave it behind you. Because what people will remember sometimes is the beginning and the end, and actually sometimes in the middle, it's arguable what people did remember because the way as an audience you know unlike your peers your colleagues who memorize everything for us audience we can't 
possibly tell the the you know the difference in the intricacies. So yes, you know. and uh, also with the 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 kind of job that you do, you know, interviewing people, or when when you are actually being interviewed, you you can get nervous. Yeah, and um, I think it's just important to go past what happened and not not focus on on your mistakes because sometimes you may have a point and it, it can be so hard to to you know to express it and you just need to you know forget and keep going yeah I absolutely encourage uh, as you know very well I didn't send you any questions or ask you to prepare anything and some of my favorite moments while interviewing people is when they do pause and they want to think they really want to get into really deep in thinking before they you know kind of just vomit out what they need to say in the positive way and sometimes people say as they go through the interview they're saying uh, I want to change my answer I do I feel a little different now about the, a question <laughs> earlier and that's also very interesting to me so oh I, I'm really enjoying this and I, I mega appreciate it. I realize it's so funny I always write down a few questions but I very quickly go off track and <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk about uh, your upbringing a little bit. I find that to be fascinating. You as a, um, I love interviewing women. And in this case, so funny, most of my guests are at least a little bit older than I am. But, you know, you're one of the very few instances where, you know, you're much younger. And just through a half an hour conversation, I actually learned a ton from you, which I don't feel embarrassed about. so you speak on your resume, I, you know, it's one of those I look at, it's like, whoa, what have I done with my life? But um, <laughs> with that said, you speak, you said you, you can sing in Greek, English, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, and French. Uh, wow, what, how did you master so many languages in singing? How did that happen? Well, I don't think I have mastered them. <laughs> I wouldn't say I have mastered them. Uh, I am more comfortable in some of them than others. Uh, but it's just, uh, well, how I how I would do it, you know, if I want to sing a Portuguese song, mm-hmm. I, um, I just listen to it a thousand times. I try to read the um, the words how you know how I hear them from the from the recording, but then I ask help from a speaker, mm-hmm. a na- native speaker. So when I wanted to do um, there was once I had to do a Portuguese uh, radio identity uh, spot. You know uh, what do you, what do you call that? Um, a little spot from for for radio in Portugal. Yeah. And uh, I just asked a Portuguese person to help me with uh, the accent. Then he he um, started help, helping me to read uh, a Portuguese text. Mm-hmm. So then I uh, started uh, knowing the combinations of letters, how they sound. 
And so, you know, every time I wanted to sing one song, and then it becomes easier and easier. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I I did it. And then there are, uh, for example, French. I learned it French at school. Uh, Spanish. I just taught myself Spanish because I loved the language. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it kind of works like that. So you took it. This is one of the huge benefit in my eyes. Growing up in Europe, and you know my friends who are German or French, they especially the the German friends, they all grew up. They all grew up basically learning and speaking five, six different languages. Granted, that might not be speaking that you know them fluently. We're constantly at home, so you know what was it like growing up for you? I want to kind of dive in deeper here. You mentioned that your parents are very supportive, um, but how did singing come about? How you know how did you grow up? Uh, singing was uh, very natural for me uh, since I was since I was a baby. Always. Uh, as soon as I could talk, then I started singing, and it's. Uh, I think it um, it plays a big part. No, uh, sorry. Uh, the fact that my mother uh, is a retired music teacher, and also that my dad loves singing too. Uh, they we we always had music playing at home, always singing along. We have piano a piano we have guitars um, accordions uh, percussion our, our house is full of instruments wow so you know me and my two sisters we always played music since we were babies we were always on the piano and singing with my mom and yeah so i was always i was always singing and then of course uh, my mom uh, you know, she asked me, what do you want to learn to play an instrument? So I, I started learning piano when I was six. And I was studying also music theory. I was part of the choir. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 13, I started cello, uh, classical cello. And then I joined the string orchestra. Um, I was always um, full time um, involved in music. I was learning English too. You know, in Greece, uh, a lot of students they go to an evening school mm, to learn uh, to, to learn English, and some of them also another language too. Wow. Uh, yes. Um, so yeah, I was just a very very busy kid. Really, I would say obsessed with music to to point where I was bullied for it. <laughs> Tell me about the bullying experience. How how did that happen? By boys or girls? Everyone, boys and girls. Oh, they can laugh. You can laugh at them now. What have they accomplished? (laughs) No, no, I don't want to laugh. I know, (laughs) I'm teasing. (laughs) No, no, it's just, uh, well, kids can be mean, you know, and I was so embarrassed, like carrying a cello, uh, you know, people are like, what is this? You have like a dead body in the in inside this or uh you know i was always taking part in the kids schools uh school shows yeah, you know bands or you and everything dance everything that went on artistically i was there you know leading things and uh you know uh, theatrical theatrical plays choirs uh everything and um and you know kids they just say, "Oh, you're, you're doing it all to get good grades." And 
you you're a nerd and then you're trying to so lead. Nerd. And I was at a school where I was among the two or three kids that actually were learning music. Amongst, I don't know how many kids we were, maybe 300, no, more, more kids, more than 300 kids. And I was among the two or three that did music. I'm so surprised because the way I envision Greek music, I love Greek food. In fact, I was actively talking to my friends at work and my colleagues at work about going back to this Greek restaurant. And I, there are many good ones in Boston, by the way. And mm-hmm. the way I always envision is there's always music, you know, at Greek restaurant and people are very friendly. And so I just assume somehow growing up in Greece that must be everybody must be playing some sort of music. But I think your family actually is somewhat of an exception. Um, I think, no, uh, a lot of people learn music, but it just happened that I was at a school in a, in the neighborhood where music education was just not important. Mm-hmm. It just happened, you know, mm-hmm. and it was fortunate and unfortunate for, for me, just because I felt like I was so a little bit too different, you know, yeah. and then I, I was, um, so I was basically, I made friends outside of school, you know, the friend, the, my real friends that I, I have kept for my whole life now, uh, are from the choir and the string orchestra. Yeah, that I can absolutely echo that. I think most of us, especially people who like to pursue uh, skills outside of a, um, how do I say, kind of the norm or what's already been set up for you, you know, school courses and all that. Uh, I am on many of my friends, uh, my listeners know very well, I've been doing martial arts for a long time since I was, you know, freshman in college. So until this day, you know, many, many years later, they're still my best friends and they're my grown up friends, you know, so I've never lost in in touch with them. So thank you so much for, yeah, this is a, a beautiful, this is a beautiful story. I. I really love chatting with especially artists and I am part of me is thinking as you're telling the story I'm so glad you did not give up you know you didn't think trying to fit in trying to have the same hairstyle and I love the fact that your stories are so much you know hands-on experience interaction with other people whereas you think of a regular 24 year old there's nothing else going on in his or her life than a smartphone and all the tweets all the social sharing liking commenting you know but you kind of lived your own life uh, in in a world that's so well represented today you know um I believe that uh, it's hard in in our society to to be a, the person that will you know continue their passion and the, especially in the arts because because it's a very tough place to be you know the industry and the financially sometimes it doesn't work out and uh, mm-hmm. there is this, always this discar- uh, discouragement to to continue that uh, but also bullying at school. I'm very, I'm I'm very against uh, bullying, and I wish I could um, help in the future to to eliminate it because um, I think it has been a reason why a lot of kids had problems in their lives because of bullying. You wouldn't even believe it, but I do. It, it can affect kids so negatively. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because now, years later, I am now teaching little kids and also adults self-defense and anti-bullying programs at 
Amazing. Yeah, and my Taekwondo school, actually, it's right in, it's just a little bit uh, off of uh, Boston. It's in Peabody, and we are designing a program. And I, you know, this is something I feel like I, now as an adult, and seeing how much more severe it actually has gotten over the over the years, because when I was growing up, there was no smartphone or websites where you have to confront someone while you're physically in the same space. Whereas now, you know, there's like cyberbullying, Oh, yeah. You know, and things. So we actually designed a program uh, to kind of coach them. And what I love, I, I know you're interested. What I love about the program, it combines martial arts. So it does strengthen your body while you're learning not only how to punch and kick, but you learn how to walk. You learn how to look at someone in the eyes. Wow, yeah. Um, be very firm, you know. It's just the transformation among these children are, uh, you know, undoubtedly it's, it's just successful. It's there. I bet yes, because it's a it's a big part um, uh, in my in my um, in my experience. Uh, I was on, not only bullied for music. I was bullied for my eye because I was born with a closed eye. My 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 eye was completely shut when I was born. So when it's then I had a couple of operations to open it a little, a little bit, but I was always called like names like um, the the, um, the owl or uh, I don't know I can't really translate them. They're all in Greek, but they're just you know just mean names about someone's physical disability oh. or problem. You know, uh, it wasn't a huge problem for me. Um, physically because I could see from the other eye mm -hmm. but um, it was half closed and and kids as I said they can be mean and yeah. that affected the way I looked at people I didn't want to look people in the eye because they they would notice it you know in my opinion and then they would start calling me names or all of that you know so confidence is a, is a big part and I think I managed to get out of that because of music because I found then my circle of people that saw more than just my closed eye you know they they we we all communicated in our own way we played music and we were in heaven so when I was 14 15 then I thought what do I care if you don't like me I don't care because if you don't like my eye I don't care uh, I'm happy I'm happy I'm playing music I'm singing that's my passion, and so I think for um, for kids that are are bullied, it's important that they find a purpose and and a goal and something that you know to be encouraged to pursue their talents, and that's one way that they could escape from this and get get over the trauma that it may have caused. story just now just took my breath away and it's if you didn't mention I wouldn't have noticed I would simply 
assume it was, you know, late nights, and I know just the show business is very, very, very tiring, you know, and I, I even know that the Atherton twins are, they're so interesting, they're telling me they're getting facials all the time, because they're just tremendous amount of makeup that you're piling onto your face, and all yeah. the time, every single day, and I love what you said, and I, I'm even thinking about just taking that piece out and then have that broadcast separately in addition to the long-form podcast because I really, I believe, you know, anti-bullying as a program is so important to the kids and the fact that you found your passion. And think about, you know, I used to be, when I was growing up, I was so scared and I still think I am a little more hyper, a little more nervous than other people perhaps that's the imposter syndrome of us thinking that we're we're never good enough but you know I had this conversation with a very brilliant young man who's only 19 years old and you know part of him thinks like what what else can I contribute to the society am I good enough do my friends love me and I wrote him a very quick note to say this is what I came to realize after I turned 30 not too long ago is realize only the few that really matter in our lives and then we need to stop analyzing ourselves and giving other people who don't deserve our attention and to define who we are mm -hmm. exactly yeah and I'm here telling you know I have your resume and I have seen your pictures and you're you're absolutely stunning vocal you know physically and then you're you know, you deliver something uh, above and beyond. You know, there's no constraints uh, to what you can do. And then what I see is not just singing, but, you know, with what people like yourself, and I respect so many performances of Cirque du Soleil, and I think it's often overlooked in terms of the effort that you put in. And um, so oh, the strength that you need to gather in order to perform under any circumstance, you know, and that alone, I can see that you you will propel to do anything you want in, in this life. So thank you so much yeah. for all the words. Yeah, I, I truly I truly believe it. You know, one of the now I'm friends with the Atherton. I was so when I watched them perform, and also at Curios, I spent the entire show somewhat worry about these people. You know, and <laughs> part of me is thinking. Okay, especially there's, I remember there's uh, where there's one young woman, very thin, being thrown around as, you know, like that gymnastic circus yeah. part of me saying, okay, I get it, I really enjoy it, but you can stop now because, you know, I, I really truly worry about you these know, people. I, me too, and I'm there every day. You do too while you're singing? <laughs> yes, yes, of course, because to me, you know, they... You know, when they jump in the air, you know, for the trampoline, and they all reassure me, you know, I ask them, are you sure this is always safe? Is this always going to be safe? Um, they they respond, yeah, it's fine, we control it. So I see it every day and I'm there singing, you know, at their level, yeah. their eye level, I'm up there, you know. Yeah. I see them jump, my, my heart jumps, oh. you know. Yes, yes, I, I, I get worried. Of course, you know, I, I need to... <laughs> sing and perform and, uh, and not show this but um, yes I'm always a little scared and you know um, when I um, once one day I was sick and it was the last day of uh, one of the cities I got a throat infection the last day of, of uh, Chicago I think maybe uh, and uh, of course I couldn't perform so I was like okay it's the last day 
usually I would go home and rest and get, you know, take medication, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I was, okay, hey, please, can you let me just watch the show mm-hmm. and then leave, you know? Because I, I, was, I wasn't going to get um, better anyway, you know, in one day. So um, I sat and watched the show for the first time after one and a half year. Because wow. I was always performing in it. You and never saw sick, it. And I never saw it. And if I was sick, I would be at home. So I watched the show and I was crying like throughout the whole show. Because you know what you said about like the effort and, and how everybody is so committed and so talented. Because also I know all of them. Yeah. And I know what everybody goes through. Because touring is tough and performing six days a week is even tougher physically, emotionally, but then it's so rewarding too. So it's like, it's a balance, but it doesn't take away the effort that performers, you know, you see them warming up, they may be in pain and it's the last show of the city, you know, and they're just pushing through. And um, when I saw everybody, looking so amazing on stage and their smile and the lights in their face and their makeup so beautiful. I was crying the whole show because I thought it, it's just incredible what these people are doing, you yeah. know? And I can't see it because I'm backstage. But then when I was outside, that's when I realized, you know, I can so feel what you're are what you're saying. Even I sit there as an audience. I there are moments I see these young women just doing incredible things, and there I see these skinny, tiny, petite women supporting huge amount of weight on their shoulders, yeah. and I can see them see their bodies shaking, and I. I absolutely get tear up and in fact when I watched uh, Andy and Kevin for the first time the moment they flew out I just started crying uncontrollably and they were they're featured um, performers so they're performing for a long time and the entire time I was crying and uh, and but you know whenever that happens to me and it, it just it open it changes my life forever you yeah. know it, and it just you watch these people in your case, I, I sense the same thing as singing as well as these physical acts is you're sitting there thinking, wow, it's not so much of, you know, some people come as like, oh, I, I can never do that. And uh, I'm not a, you know, I will never be. For me, it's like, wow, if I, I have this feeling, if I train, I might be able to do something. Maybe it's yeah. 10% of it. And I feel like we as the human potential is, you know, infinite. Right. Of course, of course. And uh, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of people saying that, for example, with flexibility or strength that you can't, at, you know, from a certain age and beyond, you can't really get flexible. Mm, no, it, of course, it's harder, but it's not impossible. And you just need to commit and you can do it. And in Curios, I'm not going to call out specific performers, but I notice people who are, I'm pretty sure they're older than I am, especially in Curios, I saw um, performers really are not at all in their early 20s and they were they were sharp, they're beautiful and the level of maturity they bring to their uh, performances is just, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And it kind of just, I feel like it's something that you will always hold on to, like even after leaving the show, that 
that show and what those people can do will always be part of you. Yes, for sure, for sure. And once you enter the life in the circus, perception of life in general yeah. is completely changed forever. Because you you leave a, a kind of normal world where you need to have a structure and a path and this, and then you enter the circus world where everything is floating, you know? You, you yeah. move from place to place, you see families all together, kids not doing the proper, having the proper educational path, but they still are great and intelligent and, and educated, you know, and then they also are, you know, extremely skilled with, um, f you know, physical arts and, and, you know, you just forget what you've learned uh, about life. You, yeah, you learn you about new life. You reevaluate, you know. If you enjoy the show, the best thing you could do for Face World is to provide a short review on iTunes. You can actually go ahead from your iPhone app and submit a star review in seconds. I'm also interested in knowing your favorite quotes and learning from this podcast. If so, please leave a comment directly on faceworld.com under Irini Torisaki's podcast. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F E I S W O R L D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.